0: You'll fix me up. You'll make me sound good.
1: I can only do so much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand.
1: Podcasting from the heartland of America in the state of Missouri, this is Recovering Faith, a show about increasing or regaining faith, trusting God when it doesn't appear to make sense to do so, and coming to Christianity from a non Christian or pseudo Christian worldview. I am your host, Gene Curl, and I wholeheartedly welcome you to this show. Welcome back to Recovering Faith Podcast. Uh, My guest today is Pastor Scott Smith uh, from Wellspring Church in Webb City, Missouri. Um, So you want to tell him a little bit about yourself, Scott?
0: Yes. First, Gene, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm excited to be a part of of this podcast, and thanks for listening. Uh, As he mentioned, my name is Scott Smith. I'm the pastor the senior pastor we have several pastors but senior pastor at wellspring church uh, in Webb city missouri and uh, gene goes to church with me uh, we worship together here at, at wellspring and uh, he asked me to to come on and i uh, was excited to do so so thanks for having me on
1: um, thanks for coming My big thing, what I usually like to talk about, regardless of what what subject I talk about, I like to talk a lot about grace. I usually throw that in in almost every episode. Mm -hmm. And then lately, about every other episode, I've been talking about the Mormon church because I've spent, well, I spent 10 plus years in the Mormon church. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would like to help other people get out of that and actually come to Christianity. So that's...
0: Well, I'm glad you talk about grace. I mean, we talk about that a lot here at church, uh, here at, at Wellspring. And, and because, uh, and I'm sure you've covered this, but that's the gospel. Um, there's, a, there's a standard that's been set. Nobody is ever going to reach that outside of Jesus himself. And uh, therefore, um, yeah, we need God's grace. And, and he loves us uh, when we are found in, in, in Jesus. And that's because of his grace for us. And we're never going to measure up. And so that's a great topic um, to to uh, major on, and we do that at church. It's awesome to hear that you do it at the podcast, and, and I know that that's the case. I've actually listened to it a few times, and uh, so I know that's something that you talk about regularly. I love I love it because uh, we have to preach that to ourselves. Like that's not a natural thing. The natural belief, at least in America, where um, God helps those who help themselves, that's the belief that many people have,
1: which is not in the Bible.
0: Which is not in the Bible. That's right. Um, That's the belief that many people have. Uh, That's natural. What is supernatural or what is spiritually uh, natural or or, or supernatural, excuse me, is that um, you're never going to measure up. And so we need a God who loves us and and, uh, has proven it by giving his son uh, to impart to us his righteousness, and that's God's grace.
1: So one of my favorite sayings on grace is by the... um I forget which, who said it, but it says if any part of your right standing with God is rule keeping, then Christ died in vain. And
0: Yep, he died for nothing at all. That's right.
1: And I forget who said it, but I've mm-hmm. got it written down somewhere so I can properly attribute it, but right now I can't think of who said it.
0: Yeah, I know there's a lot of people that have probably taken credit for that saying. I'm not sure who the original author was or the original person who said it was, but I know there's a lot of people who uh, have quoted him afterwards and probably tried to take credit for it, but. Um, that is so true. If we can earn our salvation, then Jesus died for nothing at all. And uh, we know that's not true.
1: See, that's one of the reasons why I talk so much about the Mormon Church is because they've got this saying in the Mormon Church that uh, you're saved by grace after all you can do. And that is not
0: grace. That's not <laughs> grace at all. In fact, it's funny that uh, you uh, that you say that. The first thing that comes to mind is, uh, there were, it was several months ago, maybe even a year ago now, I was at my house on a Friday. I, I work obviously since I'm a pastor Sunday, and uh, a lot of people think it's only one day a week. But uh, <laughs> I'm in the office more than that, and uh, so I take Friday and Saturday off. And uh, one Saturday or a Friday morning, I was at my house with my uh, with my daughter, and uh, we were we were hanging out, and the doorbell rang, and uh, so I went to the door, and there were a couple uh, people that were around our neighborhood in our neighborhood going door to door. And, uh, they essentially that was their line. Um, you know, he asked me if he could share what he believed. And I said, no problem at all, but there's a caveat. And when you're done, I get to share with you what I believe. And he said, no problem at all. And he said, um, that, uh, basically what you just said, Gene, that if you, um, do your best, then kind of God makes up the difference. If you're, if you're really trying, and I said, well, that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> and he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, the Bible says that you have to be perfect, uh, just as, as uh, the Father in heaven is perfect. And that's found in Matthew chapter 5. And, uh, and he said, oh, well, nobody can be that good. I said, you're exactly right, uh, outside of Jesus. But Jesus was that good. And he wasn't, he wasn't buying what I was selling. And I said, well, let, let, me just tell, let, you know, let me just tell you this. I said, here's what I know about you. And he said, well, he kind of looked at me perplexed. And I, I, uh, said, here's what I know about you because I know this about me. I have a standard that I set, um, for myself and I don't even measure up to that. Like I know I want to always be nice to my kids and I yell at my kids. I want to always honor my wife and I am selfish towards my wife. So I have this standard and I don't even measure up to that. And, and, uh, and so I know when the, when your head hits the pillow, I'm, now I'm talking to this guy again. I said, so I know that about you as well. Cause I know that about me. And I said, um, when your head hits the pillow at night, you know, that's true. And, uh, I said, you know, you're not even measuring up to the standard that you've set for yourself. And he looked over his shoulder and he said, you're right. I got to go. And so, uh, he, he made my point like w- God has this perfect standard. We're never going to measure up to that. And if we set our, a standard just for ourselves, a morality standard for ourself, um, we don't even measure up to that standard. And so how is it that we can say, if you just do your best, like what's best? Uh, this, this standard that we set for ourselves is that best? Well, we don't even measure up to that. And so that's how we can know. I mean, that's how we know that just cannot be true. On top of the fact that is... That's not the definition of grace at all.
1: You know, it's kind of funny. So, if you if a Mormon missionary comes to your house, one of the first things they talk about is that they'll ask you about, uh, or they'll first they'll try to teach you that uh, when Jesus was on the earth, he set up his church, but that after the apostles died, that the church fell into apostasy, and that all the priesthood authority was lost and it had to be restored. And of course, the leaders of the church, the higher ups, they fully admit that if there was no universal apostasy, then there was no need for a restoration and therefore no need for Joseph Smith. Uh-huh. And uh, so they try to make everybody believe that. Yeah. But what I always point out to, them, to people, though, I say, like, well, Jesus said uh, that upon this rock I will, build, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. Mm-hmm. And so if there was a universal apostasy, that would seem to me like the gates of hell prevailed against the church, That's which right. would either mean that Jesus was lying or didn't know what he was talking about, and either way would not make him much of a God. Exactly. And so I choose to believe that Jesus did know what he was talking about and he was telling the truth,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: what he said is what happened.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and you can accept that by faith, right? Yeah. But what they would say is, well— um you know you're, you you don't know that you weren't there or whatever and uh, obviously that would be the argument back to them right? <laughs> what they're accepting is faith as well um i would choose to to believe and i think um intellectual rigor or honesty intellectual honesty uh would would back up what that our faith is firmer there's a, there's a lot more evidence for our faith than than theirs because um one is what jesus said and we know that, you know, if easy that he's God or or he's nothing at all, right? I mean, based on the claims that he made, um, if he's not God, then then why do we? Why, why is he on the scene at all? And uh, um, as a carpenter from Galilee, like Podunkville, and the fact that we're still talking about him, you know, in the twenty first century, I think that enough is is evidence of. Uh, that he was who he claimed to be now um, they could say you know you haven't disproven anything by what you just said and and they're right about that except for we have church fathers um, all throughout the histories uh, to all throughout the all throughout the church history excuse me uh, church history who um, pointed back to the claim so I mean if you if you have a, a class go to a class on church history I mean they can almost um, uh, you know, tied back with, with, with a, a, without any broken part of history back to Jesus through the church fathers. Um, it's an amazing class, uh, church history. Uh, not only that, but here's the one main question I would ask. If it broke, if, it, if, if, if uh, this was extinguished, this movement known as the church was extinguished, what extinguished it? Like what? 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 What extinguished it? Because here's what I would think they would say. Now, you, Gene, you know better than I, so you can tell me if I'm wrong. I would say they would probably say something like um, the Roman Empire, or uh, maybe uh, you know a heavy-handed government, an imperialistic government. And uh, if that's if that's the case, my, my rebuttal to them would be the problem with that is every single time you see a heavy-handed government throughout history, the church has flourished. So um, one of the examples that I've used on Sunday morning in a sermon is um, when Mao Zedong came into power in China, he threw out all the, the missionaries from the West and and everybody kind of started wringing their, their hands like, oh my goodness, God has abandoned China. First of all, uh, that's thinking pretty highly of your culture, right? Like Because God kicks, I mean, because they kick out the white people that that (laughs) God has turned their back. I mean, that Uh is really, really, um, uh, uh, you know, thinking a lot of yourself. It's the opposite of humility, right? That's arrogance at at, at its height. Um, Well, that's what happened. And a hundred years later, uh, Christianity was moving through uh, China, or uh, 50 years later, excuse me, was moving through China unlike it had ever moved before. And and th- this is the the regular rhythm or the regular um, routine of, of Christianity. The heavy, the, the heavier the hand is of the government, the more persecution there is of the people that have that are following Christ. The faster and the wider it moves. And so I don't, I just don't know what would extinguish this church if that's the 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 regular rhythm of Christianity.
1: Well, they have a whole bunch of stories. Most of them is like that people are. Uh, when the apostles were killed that then there wasn't no one to lead them and then that the people started believing things that were wrong and it was like like basically the way they describe it is like take a mirror and you drop the mirror and it breaks and mm-hmm. it shatters in pieces and everybody takes a piece and they say that well, one church
0: took this part and said we believe in this another church this part and basically yeah. that's what they say you know it's interesting but, I, wish I, I wish I had the quote in front of me and I could attribute it to the right person but there was a uh, an emperor in Rome that, uh, tried to, uh, extinguish Christianity. I want I can't remember if it was before or after Constantine, but anyway, he tried to extinguish Christianity and he, um, got back all of the, the churches that were Christian, Christian churches. And, and then they were, you know, he made them pagan and he, he, in doing so tried to extinguish Christianity. And he lamented after paying all of these people. I mean, the weight of the Roman empire was behind this movement. And after, uh, they had done their best to install this pagan worship, he lamented that, uh, he cannot extinguish Christianity because they care about not only themselves, but other people, the, the, the poor people in the empire as well. They bring them in and they take care of them. And he didn't even think that the reason, uh, for their, uh, their love uh, for other people was, was authentic. Like he thought it was fake. But he said, because they care not only about them, themselves, but of some of our people as well, we cannot extinguish this thing. And I cannot remember who said it. Uh, if, I might try and find that it quote.
1: seems to me that it might have been Nero, in for Nero, but I'm not completely sure.
0: If- I I, I want to say it's Nero too, but I don't, I'm not 100% positive it was him. Nonetheless, my point is, <laughs> The weight of the Roman Empire was behind it, and we still have this quote uh, that has been preserved that says that exactly the opposite took place, that Christianity, the more that it, it was uh, persecuted, the further it moved, even in the Roman Empire.
1: See, the other thing I would say to both Mormons and Catholics is that, and I'll ruffle some feathers here probably, is that they don't quite understand the priesthood at all because yeah, the Old Testament priesthood... It was somebody to do a sacrifice, to be your intercessor for you and do a sacrifice for God. I mean, to God for on your behalf. And then, so when Jesus came, he was, uh, we didn't need anyone to be an intercessor between us and God because he was permanently that position and he was also the perfect sacrifice. So there was no longer a need for us to go to a priest. Uh... Because, and again, up until up until the Roman Empire was in control, it was there was only one high priest at a time, and then when uh, when they had these tribute kings that that the Roman government would put in, uh, they would go ahead and make more than one high priest because well they just thought it was a good idea. But in Old Testament times, there was only one high priest at a time, and it was a life calling, and so when Jesus was the perfect. The high priest, the high priest forever, and so what I would say to them is that, like they say, well, you're, we can, we're the only churches that could be true, either the Catholic or the Mormon, because we're the only ones that even claim to have this uninterrupted this line of priesthood, and I say, well, yeah, but it's not actually something that the Bible says is necessary. Like you don't have to be ordained by somebody who is ordained by somebody in order to do the will of God. I mean, even, even uh, in the New Testament, there were people baptizing and casting out devils, and one of the apostles said, uh, wanted to stop them because they weren't with us, and Jesus stopped them from stopping them and said, uh, if, they're not, if they're not against us, they're, if they're not against me, they're for me. And so, yeah, I just think they fundamentally don't understand the role of the priesthood in the Bible. Yeah. and that it was a shadow of leading toward Christ, not something that we had to permanently do from here on into eternity.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with you completely. Uh, that, that And you see this all throughout the Old Testament, right? Uh, pictures of what is to come and fulfilled in Christ, ultimately. And I think you're right, that the priest, or the role of the priest, is uh, a picture of who Jesus is for us. And the Bible backs that up, Hebrews chapter 4. It says that he's the great high priest. Um, not only that, but the veil t- t- uh, tears right whenever he he dies, when he breathes his last. Uh, the Bible tells us that the the veil into the holy of holies. There's a there was basically a wall that that kept out uh, sinful men um, from God's presence because we couldn't see it. We were we were a broken you know sinful people. Well, when Jesus dies, he um, the, the veil tears from the top to the bottom just so that uh, everybody would know that God, it's God's doing. And then an amazing thing happens. The, the very soldier that nailed Jesus' hands and feet to the cross said, uh, and I don't know why, how, it had to be the way Jesus died, something about him. But God, um, uh, but this, this soldier says, surely this was the Son of God. And spiritually speaking, he's the first one to step into the Holy of Holies, into God's presence with a relationship uh, that was given through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so, um, you know, he is our great high priest. Uh, not only that, but the, the Bible, uh, you know, First Peter uh, chapter 2 speaks to this, that we're a holy priesthood, a set-apart nation. And so uh, the Bible's pretty clear that the role of the priest was a picture of who Jesus was and he is our the ultimate high priest interceding to the Father on our behalf.
1: You know, the thing was kind of funny, too, if you point it out to him. I pointed it out to one, and they just didn't—to a Mormon, and they didn't know what to say. It's like when they point out some of these verses that they use to try to prove that there is apostasy, and one of the verses, I forget the reference to it, I'd have to look it up, but it talks about—it's uh, talking about the end times and everything. And then if you go past the verse that they read, and it talks about that there is— that uh, there was this man that will set himself up in the temple and people will believe him to be God and that everybody will know know this man. And I will say, uh, you know, and that will happen before this big apostasy that it mentions. And I said, okay, so who was that man? And they're like, what? Who was that man? And it's like, we don't know. And I said, like, okay, well, if everybody doesn't know who that man is, mm-hmm. then this verse has not happened yet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly right. <laughs> They, they don't even they don't even catch it right oh man it's so so true I mean the Bible's clear about this I think and that doesn't mean that we don't have people that help point us uh teach us but uh, when it comes to the the uh, the need for a priest an intercessor to God we've been given that person and his name is Jesus
1: you know I, and I always think it's like what I would think of it's not there's actually a number of churches besides that that uh, want to make it so you have to work for everything yes I mean true Christianity is pretty much the only faith in the world that makes it so that we're saved by the by what God did for us and not by our own works but I mean I think of it like this it's like if you're if your grandmother died and left you a house and it was free of charge you just like left it to you You wouldn't say, well, you know what, I still think I need to pay for it. And so you try to pay the bank for the house anyway, even though, you know, you can't pay for it and it's going to be foreclosed. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would just be ridiculous. Yeah. But that's what people are trying to do with grace.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I would even take that analogy a step further. It would be like if you were given something, something, let's say your grandma's house and you said, no, 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 I want to pay. I, I have to pay this to you. Would you be willing to take my five dollars for your house? I mean, not only, not only, uh, that's insulting. Like that, that not only is it not, is it absurd? But if you were to offer five dollars for somebody's uh, house that they have spent a lifetime paying back, paying for, um, that would be insulting to her. She'd be like, "Take your, keep your money." I mean, what is, what am I going to do with five bucks when I'm giving you my house? You know, that's that's even a Obviously, all of our analogies fall short, but that's basically what we're doing when we say we're going to do our best. We're going to, here's my $5. Will you give me your house? <laughs> you, you have just insulted me to keep your five bucks and go away.
1: See, one of the best analogies I think I've come up with is like I said, that, like if you're, imagine if you're, that the ocean is your sin and mm-hmm. you're out in the middle of the ocean in a little inflatable boat mm-hmm. and you're trying to get rid of this sin, this ocean, and you've got a sponge yes and the problem is is that you take too much and then you're going to sink your boat and it's going to go back in the ocean and even if you had something else to do with it you could be out there from you know for a million years if you somehow could live that long and you'd never drain the ocean i mean what's added to it in one day is more than you could really move in a lifetime Mm -hmm. and but yet people are still thinking that they've got to do it and I, i mean and i sure obviously we're supposed to try to do things that are pleasing to God. Like uh, like Paul, he said, should we uh, continue sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, he was extremely, extremely clear that it's not what we do that saves us. It's like we are saved because it pleased God to save us, not because we earned it.
0: That's exactly right.
1: I mean, if you could earn it, it's not grace. It's not grace.
0: <laughs> it's not grace at all. And then... Back to your the the major point that you've made, then Jesus died for nothing, at all. Um, and so I, I, you know, I can't add anything to that. You're exactly right.
1: You know, and it is, and it is a wonderful feeling to think. I mean, because okay, I, I know this is going to come as a great shock, but I mess up on a daily basis. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm with you, uh, and so I know that I can never reach this standard, mm-hmm. but I know that. Christ has already reached it for me. And sometimes I like to beat myself up and say, well, you know, I fell short and God isn't pleased with me and so forth and so on. But when I really think about it, I realize that there's nothing that I can do that's going to make God love me less. I'm sure He's grieved when I do things that are wrong, mm-hmm. but He wants me to do, He, uh, you know, He loves me and he, and he wants me to do what's right, of course, but He, but he loves me regardless. Yeah. Not because I mean, it's like, if you have a, I mean, I know your kids. I mean, their kids, they mess up. But if your, but if your kids spilled some chocolate milk on the carpet, you wouldn't stop loving them.
0: That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's an analogy that I used a couple weeks ago on a in a sermon. Uh, our our obedience it actually becomes joy when our relationship with Christ uh, is more intimate. And the analogy that I used in a sermon was uh, of um, of hunting. It's, it's a hobby. And I said in that that people who love hunting um, never think about the sacrifice. And there's a lot of sacrifices for hunting. You got to get up early. You, you got to pour deer urine on you. Um, you. You go out and you sit under a tree for 10 hours in negative 15 degrees that's a sacrifice. And yet I have never heard a hunter who loves hunting complain about it. Why? Because they love they love it. I mean, they love the hobby. But nobody's going to debate whether that's a sacrifice or not. It is one. But you never think of it in those terms when you love something. And so it is with our relationship with God. That we love him. And as our love for him goes deeper, obedience just becomes joy. It just becomes joy, and just like it is with a hunter, he never thinks about it being a sacrifice because he loves it.
1: Yeah, I like to tell people that you know we're not that we don't we're not saved by our good works. That we do good works because we're saved. Mm-hmm. Because if we're we become a new creature in Christ, and if we're become a, a new creature in Christ, we're not going to be doing the same things that we used to.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: And so, I mean, there's always there's always. Sure, there's always time you're gonna fall short, but I mean if you if you become a Christian and there's no change whatsoever in your life, you didn't really become a Christian.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. For sure. Um can I circle back to our conversation earlier? Oh yeah, absolutely. I found the quote in my notes. Uh quote from Emperor Julian. He uh, it was actually three hundred years after um after Paul but the Roman Empire was still going. And here's what Emperor Julian, the, the Roman Emperor Julian said. And you can read about this in the, in the book, The Rise of Christianity. He said this, Recent Christian growth is caused by their, quote, moral character, even if pretended, end quote, and by their benevolence towards strangers. I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, the impious Galileans or the impious Christians Observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence, but it gets even worse. The empire, the impious Galileans support not only their poor but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us, and that's in the that's in the rise of Christianity. And this is the the emperor Emperor Julian lamenting that the Christians, uh, whom he's trying to to extinguish, will not go away because. People keep joining their ranks because of how they treat the poor. And that's 300 years after Paul. And so it seems to me that if this is true, then then the, the things that they claim simply cannot be true.
1: Well, you know, I think, um, um, I know it's probably not a true story, but a story that I like anyway. During the interview, I told this story, but um, I kind of slaughtered it. So I'm subbing this out for what I said in the interview so that you got the actual story. It's called The Forty Wrestlers. Long ago, when the ruling passion of the Emperor Nero was the extermination of the Christians, there lived and served him a band of soldiers known as the Emperor's Wrestlers. Fine stalwart men they were, picked from the best and the bravest of the land, recruited from the greatest athletes of the Roman Amphitheater. In the great amphitheater, they upheld the arms of the emperor against all challengers. Before each contest, they would stand before the emperor's throne. Then through the courts of the Rome would ring the cry, We the wrestlers wrestling for thee, O emperor, to win for thee the victory, and from thee the victor's crown. When the great Roman army was sent to fight in faraway Gaul, no soldiers were braver or more loyal than this band of wrestlers led by their centurion Vespasian. But news reached Nero that the Christian faith, that seemed to know no bounds, which had seemed to leap all barriers, had come among the wrestlers, and many had accepted it. To be Christian meant death, even to those who served Nero best. So, that this decree was straightway dispatched to the centurion Vespasian. If there be any among the soldiers who cling to the faith of Christians, they must die. The decree was received in the dead of winter. The soldiers were camped on the shore of a frozen inland lake. The winter had been hard, but the many hardships they had in- endured together had only served to unite them more closely. So it was with sinking heart that Vespasian, this centurion, read the emperor's message. Yet to a soldier there is one word supreme, and that is Duty. Vespasian called the soldiers together and asked the question, Are there any among you who cling to the faith of the Christians? If so, let him step forward. Forty wrestlers instantly stepped forward two paces, respectfully saluted and stood at attention. Vespasian paused. He had not expected so many. The decree has come from your emperor, he said, that any who cling to the faith of Christian must die. For the sake of your country your comrades, your loved ones, renounce this false faith. Not one of the forty moved. Until sundown, I shall await your answer, said Vespasian. Sundown came, and again the question was asked, Are there any among you who cling to the faith of the Christian? If so, let him step forward. Again, the forty wrestlers stepped forward and stood at attention. Vespasian pleaded with them long and earnestly, without prevailing upon a single man to deny his lord. Finally, he said, the decree of the emperor must be obeyed, but I am not willing that your blood be upon your comrades. I am going to order that your march be out upon the lake of ice, and I shall leave you there to the mercy of the elements. Fires, however, will be burning on the shore, and the large And at the largest, I, your commander, will be waiting to welcome any willing to renounce his false faith. The forty wrestlers were stripped, and then without a word, they wheeled and falling into columns of four, marched out toward the lake of ice. As they marched, they broke into chorus with the old chant of the arena, Forty wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, to win for thee the victory, and from thee the victor's crown. All through the long hours of the night, Vespasian, the centurion, stood by his campfire and waited. All through the long night came back to him, fainter and fainter, the wrestler's song. As it neared morning, one figure, overcome by exposure, crept quietly towards the pyre. In the extremity of his suffering, he had renounced his lord. Faintly, but clearly, from out of the darkness came the song. Thirty-nine wrestlers wrestling for the oak rice to win for thee the victory, and from thee the victor's crown. Vespasian looked at the figure, drawing close to the fire, and then out into the darkness whence the song of faith came. Once again he looked. Ah, who can say? Perhaps he saw the greater light shining there in the darkness. Off came his helmet, down went his shield, and he sprang upon the ice, crying, Forty wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, to win for thee the victory. And from thee the victor's crown. And the number of God's own overcomers was complete. And uh, that was, I don't know who the author was, but it was printed in the Good News Digest. Being a good example of Christ can really, you know, help people to... Bringing people to him,
0: yeah, and absolutely. so
1: that was kind of a sidetrack from what I was thought we were talking about. But I just, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it. <laughs> it's definitely
1: a cool story.
0: Yeah, for sure,
1: it's almost certainly made up, but still, <laughs>
0: that's all right. Yeah, and that has nothing to do with keeping a moral a moral uh, list of of good things, right? No, nope. I mean that's that, that that's talking about a life that's been changed, not about a list that has to be checked off. And that's and that's what that's what being a, a that's what Christ came for. Altogether different than than doing the best you can and then making having God make up the rest. That's pretty. That's a pretty presumptuous thing, anyway, right? Uh, that God, if I do my best, then God is obligated to make up the difference. I'm not sure we, we uh, have the moral or or the uh, the right to make that claim anyway. But when G- Jesus comes and he offers it as a gifts, a gift through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's altogether different.
1: Not only that, but I mean. If you're only doing the right thing because you think it's going to save you, versus you're doing the right thing because you love God and you want to please Him uh, simply out of your love for Him, yeah, those are those are completely different.
0: Yeah, it's pretty selfish, right? Yeah, I mean um, a motivation is self-centered, and in that, what we all uh, say is is one of the big ills of of Western society. I mean, we we talk about the motivation, self-centered motivation being a big problem in our world. And yet that's the motivation. If that is indeed what, what it takes to have a right standing with God. I
1: mean, I know God knows the difference. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's why I always had a problem with Pascal's wager. Mm-hmm. You know, he is. You know, oh
0: yeah. I know about it.
1: And for those of you, for those people who aren't familiar with Pascal's wager, he's, he basically said that if you believe, if you believe in God and, uh, or if you, if you believe in God and there is no God, then you haven't lost anything uh if you uh if you don't believe in god and there is no god then you haven't gained anything but if you uh don't believe in god and there is a god you could have then you've potentially lost everything and so so reasons that it's better to believe in god even if there isn't a god so just in case kind of hedge your bets but you know that's not really a sincere
0: belief mm-hmm. that's uh that's right as so, a philosophical uh discussion right yeah it leads to a very pretty good philosophical discussion but that's not faith (laughs) yeah ultimately maybe it is faith but not biblical faith
1: yeah (laughs) yeah and just i mean and you know say christ definitely does the difference and i've there's been so many times in my life where i've been that where i've been that father in is it matthew or mark i don't know where he says uh lord he says i believe Lord help my unbelief, mm-hmm. and man. That's been me so many times in my life. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Where I know I don't quite have enough faith, but I have enough faith to ask God to help me with my faith.
0: Yeah, and He <laughs> honors it, right? Yeah, and He honors that. So uh, that should give us that should give us great hope uh, for for our journey because He honors that the the Father's cry that uh, He doesn't he doesn't believe as fully as he should but if jesus would would uh, help hit that unbelief then um then he knows he would hit, be healed
1: anyway circling back just a little bit you know we we're talking about this uh about churches that that believe you got to do all these things to be uh to be saved and uh you know it's like they think that uh basically it's like um uh, well i guess I don't know, you're probably familiar with Brigham Young, everybody's heard of him at least mm-hmm. uh which he said basically the the whole Mormon temple thing that it'll enable you to have the key phrases and signs and tokens to go past the angels that stand as guards to get into heaven. Uh, And I say, yeah, first off, that's none of that is mentioned in the Bible, but, but also it's, that's, I mean, it's, that's again, that's like you're buying your way in and not to mention the whole, that brings up a whole lot of other issues. Like they claim that, their temple is, is like the temple was in the days of Solomon. And um, you ask any Jew and they'll be like, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. How much, oh. you can enlighten me on this. I, I, I'm not any, I'm not a scholar or well studied on uh, the, the LDS church. I, I, I loosely say church, if that, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to be disrespectful either. So, uh how much of that is known to people when they're as they're beginning the process? Very little, and um, why is that?
1: Well, it's um, they're afraid that if the way they describe it, as they say, you don't give them uh, you don't give meat to babies. Okay, but the thing it's like they when you when you first encounter Mormonism, you think it's just normal Christianity, just like you know, just slightly different because I talk about. They talk about Jesus, but they don't talk about their their different varying beliefs in Jesus. They just talk about Jesus and
0: uh-huh. God. And the so they God. don't define terms. No.
1: And then as you slowly work into it, then you realize that that like if, it's hard to sometimes have a conversation with somebody who's Mormon because they're they say the same things, but they mean completely different things. Like salvation, for instance. Uh-huh. If you ask a Mormon if they'll be if they're going to be saved, they're like, "Yeah, I'm going to be saved. So if you die right now, you'll be saved. Yeah, I'd be saved, but." But their term of salvation is different. Like mm-hmm. uh, they believe that everybody is going to inherit some kind of glory. That like everybody's going to go to some kind of heaven, mm-hmm. but that if you follow all the rules, you'll go to the super duper heaven and get to be a god. And so what they're striving for isn't salvation; it's exaltation. Ah, uh, yep. And so and then so there's all these different things. But then they also talk about like, which I have, have ish have issues with, is they believe that. Jesus wasn't always God, that God created Jesus, Mm -hmm. but the Father wasn't always God either because he used to be a man on another planet, but they don't tell you all this stuff when you first join. You learn this later, and Uh there's there's actually people who have been members of the church their whole life, and they don't know this because they don't, this is stuff that the church openly believes, but they don't talk about it a lot. Gotcha. Especially in the last few years, they've been making a big push to seem more Christian. Uh
0: Uh-huh. Main, main mainstream yeah. they want to be considered mainstream.
1: Yes, exactly. Okay. So they don't hide the fact that they believe this, but they don't broadcast it either. Yeah. We're I mean they I give them credit, they've been a lot more open in the last few years about things that they believe where we, before they used to hide it and now they're a lot more open about it like until recently, they denied that Joseph Smith had a whole lot of wives, and they they couldn't deny Brigham Young, obviously, but Joseph yes. Smith they denied. And then in the last few years, they've come out with this document talking about Joseph Smith's wives and even admitted that some of them were, like, 14 and 15 and all this stuff. But wow. before that, they didn't. So anyhow, but there's, all this stuff is out there, but it's not something that a missionary is going to tell you if they're trying to get you into the church. They tell you... They stress the fact that, you know, uh, families, if you you join the church, you're going to be with your family forever in heaven. Yes. In like a family unit, like it's going to be man and wife and kids just like it is here except...
0: Except not. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so that's and that's where they get a lot of people is like the whole family thing. Okay. But it's on the surface, it looks... On the surface, it looks a lot more Christian, but when you...
0: When you start to dig a little bit and understand terms. Yeah.
1: Like the whole big thing, I, I have a hard time uh, even cons- even considering a church to be Christian if they, if they don't believe that Jesus is God and was always God. Yeah. And if they believe that, that you are saved by these ordinances and works, like they think that steps, you have to be baptized. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have their hands laid on you for the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay. And then they believe that you. Then you have to get, you have to have these temple ordinances, uh, and then you have to get married in the temple, mm-hmm. and then you have to follow all these rules your whole life. And so, like, if you were to even ask one of these church leaders that thinks they're an apostle, yeah, well, I don't know that they actually think it, but you know, at that point you have to know that you're the man behind the curtain. Yes. But I mean, but I mean, they say they believe it. So, but if you were even to ask them, they would say that there's no guarantee that if they were to that uh, you could live good your whole life and mess up right before you die and you lose everything. Yeah. And so, because all all based on works, and and that's that's really a scary, that's really a scary thought. It is. I mean, it really is. I mean, because we all know that. You know, I mean, it's like, and my thing too is like. I Know a lot of Mormon people, and they all have like at least some rule that they think it's okay to break,
0: yeah, absolutely. But because they you cannot keep the standard, even the standard you set for yourself, like where we started.
1: But my point with that is, it's like it's pointed out in the Bible several times that if you're going to live by the law,
0: yep, you You have have to keep it all
1: all, because if you broke one, you've broken them all, broken it all, yep. And so, and that's and that's the thing that you didn't got up, like they talk about. They talk about like they, they repent they're always repenting. And it's like but if you're always repenting, that means you're always doing something wrong because a repenting is to change your behavior mm-hmm. from what was wrong. So I mean, if you if you're bragging about always repenting, then aren't you bragging about always doing something wrong?
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean it's necessary, obviously, but to repent because we're human. But mm-hmm. but my point is, is that
0: and I mean, who, it's yeah. Who's, who's your repentance to? Why? I mean, a lot, you can really dig into this,
1: and it's so much is it, so much as at stake. Like, if there's, have you ever heard of this book called The Miracle of Forgiveness? I have not. It's by. It was written by one of the Mormon apostles, and I don't think it should be called The Miracle of Forgiveness. Honestly, I think uh-huh. it should be called. Uh, I don't know. There's all kind of proper names for it, like. Like how to feel bad about yourself or whatever, but uh-huh. but basically, like the first three, the first, I don't want to know, three quarters of the book is about how we're bad and we're we have this high standard and we're not living up to it and we're sinning and we got to live up to it or we're all gonna. Yes. Yeah, then The very last part is about how if you follow all these rules, uh-huh. that you can be forgiven, but that you have to like you have to earn your salvation, uh-huh. and it. One thing it talks about is like and I have an issue with is it talks about like the the man on the cross. Mm-hmm. When Jesus said today with you you'll be with me in paradise. And they're like, well, you know, they don't believe in deathbed repentance. They think that that meant that you he said you'll be with me in paradise. They think it means like an intermediary place between heaven and hell that he can have a chance to accept the Mormon Jesus and eventually yeah. Go on. Yeah. But the problem is it's like I mean, I point this out to him and it's like even in the Book of Mormon, it says that this life is the only time that you get to prepare to meet God.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't you can't believe in a if you' if your salvation's dependent upon the things you do, you can't believe that, right? I mean, there, there has to be some consistency there. Uh, but that's pretty exclusive. I mean, at, at some point, I guess there's this threshold that if you cross it from their point of view, then you can't ever get in. Or, it, you know, certain things, if you do, you can never, I mean, they talk about repentance, but obviously if you can keep all the rules then at the very end of your life, if you mess up, you can't get in. Um, well, uh, that's pretty exclusive. Like mm-hmm. you better keep the, the rules all your life. Christianity, at least for the culture, one of the big things that they have, one of the big issues they have is, is the exclusivity of Christ. Well, Christianity is exclusive, yes, but it's very inclusive. Exclusivity, because we the Bible says, and we believe because the Bible says, anybody can come. It beckons all of us, come, come. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your your uh, language is. It doesn't matter what corner of the globe you come from. the the, the cross, Jesus beckons you, invites you, come.
1: See, and that's the thing. They don't they don't have a cross on any of their churches either. If you ever notice, like down, yeah, that's true. Like if you go down on um. Oh shoot! Down in Joplin, I forget the mm-hmm. name of the street where they've got it. Like right, right by a Baptist church. Like yeah, it's right next or, to the high school. Yeah, Connecticut or something. Uh-huh. I don't remember. Maybe it's one of those streets, one of the state streets. <laughs> Anyhow, the big Mormon church, and but you notice there's no, there's no cross, no cross on it. Yeah. and you'll. It's like uh, if you talk to a Mormon person about the cross or about say that you're born again, it's like almost pornographic to them. It's like really? oh, Do I you mean it's like? Yeah, they they hate the term born again, huh. and they don't like the cross. Yeah, and they say because they're they're more focused on Christ is risen. But but I mean, and they have this weird thing like you might not have heard this. They believe that they actually honestly believe because um, that they believe that when. It, Christ, the cross is just something that kind of had to happen to finish it off, like the icing on the cake, uh-huh. but that Jesus really suffered for us and uh, and did all the work in the Garden of Gethsemane because they believe that he sweat blood. Uh-huh. And, of course, the verse that they're taking in context is one verse in the entire Bible, and Bible scholars, almost uh, all of them believe that that verse was added by somebody later because it's not in the earliest manuscripts uh-huh. and what they don't take into account either is it doesn't even say that Jesus sweat great drafts of blood it says he sweat as it were great drops of blood mm-hmm. but yeah. so and even if he did I mean it's still it was the yeah. cross is dying for us I was gonna say
0: <laughs> give me the garden of Gethsemane if I can miss the cross but the, the, the cross is what he came for I mean that's he's the one who talked about it As if, as that being his purpose. I'm going to go, I'm going to die for you. And then I'm going to rise again. I mean, he, he talks about this ad nauseum that he's, that's what his purpose is. That's what he's going to do. I mean, mean, the
1: cross was, the cross was horrible. And I, I think like having the cross, remembering it, that's not glorifying his death. That's, that's saying, I'm so glad that you did this so that I don't have to spend eternity in hell.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's right. I don't, I don't even, I've never heard that before. So really? I'm trying to think about how I would rebut that. It's, it's so out
1: there. Well, you know what I say to rebut it, actually? They, as I say, after that, you remember where they were leaving the garden? Soldiers come up to arrest Christ. Peter pulls out a sword and mm-hmm. cuts off the uh, soldier's ear. Uh, Malchus, yes. I believe was his name. Mm-hmm. So he cuts off his ear.
0: Yeah, Jesus. the Bible. I don't think the Bible says his name, but I think his, church history tells us that. Oh, okay. Well, anyhow, I somewhere it does.
1: I, somewhere I read. I may. I don't remember where. But anyhow, that's not the point. So Jesus heals the ear, right? And he says to Peter, he says uh, he he asked him. He says, uh, "Don't you ask him why he's trying to stop him from drinking the cup that the Father gave him?" Yes. And, so. And you have to ask him, well, what is that cup? I mean, if he's already, if the garden was the cup, well, then obviously he would have already have drinking it and that wouldn't have happened, had that confrontation there. But he said, asking, you know, why are you trying to stop me from drinking the cup the father gave me? Because that was the cross. And in fact, you recall, that wasn't the first time that Peter was rebuked for trying to stop Christ from going to the cross. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first time he was called Satan. Satan, exactly (laughs) right. Exactly
0: right. Get behind me, (laughs) Satan, he said. But he restores him. Yes. So that's we're grateful for and that. And
1: seeing that people in the Bible give me hope, because yeah. because I mean, yeah, like I, I I'm I know I'm confident that I will n- never mess up as much as as much as um,
0: Paul. I mean, he killed people. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, and that's a that's a big deal. The Bible is the only book where the uh, where the hero dies to save the villain.
0: Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. And isn't that a beautiful thing? That's a beautiful picture. So much more glorious than a broken person like me just trying to do my best. And then God um, is obligated to make up the difference. That is so much more glorious. It makes God look so much more beautiful when that's the story. And that's the story of the Bible. And
1: and I know that God isn't obligated to save me. I mean, I could... I could be the best person in the world and follow every rule, but God doesn't save me because he of, because, well... Because you deserve it. He did all this, so I guess I have to. I mean, yeah. no, it's not like
0: that at all. I mean, yeah. I mean... You're the villain. The Bible says that while you were still an enemy to God, that Jesus died for us. That is so beautiful to think that. That the God of the universe who, who created this world, while I was still opposed to him, while I still was waving my fist... And my finger at him uh, died in my place, so that I could have a right standing with him. That makes God look glorious.
1: Any anything you'd like to add? Like, what's your what's your uh, I don't know. I guess what's your probably the thing that you talk about the most in your sermons.
0: Uh, I mean, probably grace. We talk about <laughs> that every week uh, because that's the gospel. And I and and my favorite author is a guy named Tim Keller, and he says until you get to the cross, uh, all you have is a, is a uh, a Sunday school lesson, and so we always try to get to the cross, because okay. that's what makes that—that's what makes Jesus look glorious, and that's—that's that's what we're here for, as a church, to make Jesus look glorious. I
1: read one of Tim Keller's books a while back. I think it was called Sp- Spiritual Warfare. I may be wrong. That might not have been Tim Keller, but I think it was. But uh huh, you know, I mean. Sometimes I'm lucky to remember my own name. <laughs> uh, but hey, you know what? It doesn't matter if I forget my own name, as long as I remember Jesus. That's right. That's exactly
0: right. Well, man, I appreciate you having me on. Um,
1: you ever started? Did you ever start putting up the uh, your sermons as a podcast?
0: Mm-hmm. They're on uh under Wellspring Church, I believe. If you look there and and. Uh, uh, on on iTunes, and you uh, look under Wellspring Church, I believe they're on there. Okay. I know we have a podcast. I, I think the name of it is Wellspring Church. Okay. I know there's a lot of Wellspring Churches out there, but uh, the one in Webb City, Missouri, is the one that you would want uh, to find our to find our church. We'd love to have you go by there.
1: And in case anybody's wondering, uh, this Pastor Scott Smith is not the Pastor Scott Smith from K-Love Radio. So. That's right. <laughs> That's, I'm glad you pointed that out.
0: Different guy. But every time he comes on and says it, my five-year-old says dad that's you <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh uh, that's, that's funny cool. well thanks a lo- thanks a lot for uh uh for coming on this station and i mean
0: for this uh podcast forward to it thanks for listening to us and uh if you have any questions hit gene up and we'll uh, share a little bit more thanks so much
1: thanks for listening to the recovering faith podcast If you haven't already, subscribe so you never miss an episode. A new episode goes live every Wednesday. If you have questions, comments, have suggestions for a future episode, or if you would like to be a guest, you can contact me through my website, genecurl.com. Remember, it's gene like the unit of biological heredity and curl like a curl on your head. Please leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Or whichever streaming service you use. God bless you and keep you till the next episode.